When it comes to marketing, speed is the new IP, and we're going to talk a little bit about opportunities in China for small business, because I'm interviewing Josh Steinle today. Check it out. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Magic Jack for Business. Uh, you own a small business, you know the phone is your lifeline. Uh, Magic Jack for Business is a really cool way to get phone service reliability for a lot less money. Starts at $14.99 per line. There's no nickel and dime. I mean, you get all kinds of powerful features. So because you're a listener, you're going to get two free months of service when you sign up at magicjackforbusiness.com slash duct tape. So that's just magicjackforbusiness.com slash duct tape. Be one of the first to sign up and you'll get a phone free too. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Chance and my guest today is Josh Steinle. He is the founder and CEO of MWI, an SEO and digital marketing agency, and he's also the author of Chief Marketing Officers at Work, a book we're going to talk about some today. So, Josh, thanks for joining me. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. So, I have recently put out a book on SEO, so I want to start with a couple SEO questions because I'm, I'm asking anyone who uh, who's related to the subject uh, a few questions on this. Um, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, what's changed the most about what we call search engine optimization? You know, what's changed the most, I think, is that people today actually understand what it is. When I started out in SEO, we had to explain what the acronym SEO stood for, and we had to explain this is how you show up in the search engines, and this is why it matters. But today, we're able to go in and walk into companies and say, hey, we do SEO, and people understand what we're talking about. They understand that content's important. They understand links, and so it's a much easier sell for me today than it was 10 years ago. Except that I moved to China a few years ago, and over here in China, they're about 10 years behind when it comes to SEO, and so I find myself explaining the same things here that I was explaining in the U.S. about 10 years ago. It's a little bit like traveling back in time. But but SEO and marketing really, in, in you know, Google releases something like 400, 500 updates to their algorithm every year, but really the fundamentals don't change. You do what needs to be done to provide content that people want to find in search engines. And as long as you think like a human rather than trying to game the system, you end up doing the right things that put your website at the top. And so I tell people when you're in doubt and you're not sure what to do, just try to provide value in that content. And as long as you do that, you're getting probably 90% of the game right. And the rest of it is just those little technical tricks that you can figure out by reading a bunch of websites or a book like yours. <laughs> yeah, you know, I tell people all the time that Google's objective has never changed. <laughs> it's just the way in which they achieve that objective, you know, is what people end up reacting to, you know, when they talk about this update or this new thing or that new thing. And, and even when people talk about SEO is dead, it seems to me like that's a lot of the kind of marketing people that used to look at SEO as mostly as this sort of tricks and and you know, pulling levers under the hood. Yeah, it's never been dead. It just keeps evolving and keeps changing. And 
What we know is that Google is getting more and more human. And so the way that a human looks at a website, that's where Google's going. And so we just need to look at websites like humans, like normal people. And if we go to a website and we think, oh, this is junk and it doesn't make sense and I can't find things, Google's going to get to the point where it can recognize that just as well as a human can. And so we just need to build good websites. That's the main thing. Well, to that point, do you find in your practice that that people are getting the connection between, you know, the, the old days where you'd go get a website design, then you'd try to find, fill it up with content that uh, you thought was uh, useful and workable, and then you'd go get it SEO'd. Um, and today, I think we find that we you, you can't do one of those without the other. That it's sort of all done, you know, in an integrated way. I mean, do you find that business owners are buying into that whole idea that SEO? Is, I'm, I'm sorry, that web design and creating a great website is more than creating a great design. It's got to have all of these other elements in the strategy part. Right. I think so. I think people are coming around and becoming more sophisticated or more common sense, really. And it goes back to focusing on the customer and taking the customer into consideration first and saying, what does this person want? What information does this person need in order to buy? And then you create content around that information. You talk about delivering it the way that people want it to be delivered to them. And then you design your website to facilitate that, to act as the delivery vehicle to give them that information, that content rather than starting out with the website and then trying to reverse engineer it after the fact. Right, <laughs> which is what a lot of SEO firms are faced with trying to do, I suppose. Um, do, do you um, – I know one of the things that you personally do is uh, is train CEOs and entrepreneurs on how to become influencers or more influential. Um, is there and, – and, and everybody, I think a lot of people would list that as a primary goal because I think we all realize the value of that. But is there – kind of one way to do that or a best way to do that or it, does it depend on your industry and your your assets and and where you're trying to go it really depends on a lot of things including personal preference but i like to explain to people that all marketing and all influence is really two things it's content and it's channel it's information that people want and then it's how you deliver that to them and so you might find that the kind of information that people want from you or want to know about your industry that you're in is maybe they like question and answer. So Gary Vaynerchuk's great at this, right? He answers all sorts of questions. Right. People love the question and answer format. So you might say, I'm going to provide question and answer content. Then you say, how am I going to deliver this? Is it going to be a podcast, a website, a blog, a video blog? How am I going to get this content to my audience? That's what marketing's always been since the days of the caveman, and that's what it's always going to be in the future. The only thing that changes is the exact nature of those channels, the technology, whether it's social media or TV or radio or websites or podcasts. But that essential creating creation of content and then figuring out the right channel to deliver it to your audience, that's what we get. That's the fundamentals right there. And so when I sit down with people and I talk about influence, I say, where are your where is your audience hanging out? Where are they? How do they consume content? How do they want content delivered to them? And then how do you want to deliver content? Some people like video, some people like audio, some people like writing. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a writer myself and uh you know, I don't have a great face for video. I've got a great face for radio, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh I prefer to write my content, but a lot of the people that want my content want it through video and audio as well. So, 
I prefer to get my content out written, but I'm also delving into audio and video because I know that's important. And so with influencers, it's just a matter of figuring out what's the content and then how do I deliver it in the best way. Now, I know a lot of people over the last decade or so have really uh, driven kind of the authority for, around their brand by uh, by posting in other sites that have that uh, high authority. I know for a fact you up here in Forbes and CNO, CMO and Inc. and Entrepreneur and all the, the magazines where p- potentially your readers, uh, your clients uh, show up. And so is there, you know, that, and I think for a lot of people that's proven to be a very good uh, path. Is that still a valid path today or is that, is that ship sort of sailed? I think it's more valid than ever. I think the value is just incredible in getting into these channels. And for me, it was such a blessing to my business to be able to write for Forbes because that just opened doors for me to write for all sorts of other publications. That's what led to my book deal. That's what has led to me getting paid to speak and being on podcasts. It it all started – well, I shouldn't say it all started with Forbes. I was blogging for 10 years before that, but nobody paid attention to me before. Once I started blogging on Forbes, all of a sudden that brand combined with my content created a magic formula where people trusted what I was saying and they listened to it and it gave me an audience where that I could broadcast to. And so all of a sudden people were reading my content and responding to it and caring about it. And I only started on this not even four years ago writing for Forbes mm-hmm. and it has generated literally millions of dollars of revenue for my agency, just that writing alone. And it's led to all these other opportunities. And that's still the case. If somebody can get a chance to write for Forbes or Business Insider or Mm -hmm. even smaller blogs, smaller websites, there's great opportunity there. Even Medium. I mean, anybody can go and set up a blog on Medium and start publishing there. And there are people who are getting millions of views every month off of Medium, which is a free platform that anybody can publish on. And so there are great ways to get your content out there still. And as many voices as there are out there, there's still room for more. There are probably there's probably room for thousands more voices just in your industry alone, whatever it is. Yeah. So in marketing officers at work, uh, the premise of the book is that that those are lessons from CMOs um, in a variety of companies. And so, uh, t- tell me a little bit about the. The methodology of kind of how you piece that together, um, and maybe some of that started with with people recognizing you were a Forbes <laughs> contributor, and and so maybe they'd spend some time being interviewed by you. But I'd love if you'd talk a little bit about that process. Sure. So this was an amazing opportunity for this book. I got to interview twenty nine chief marketing officers from companies like GE, PayPal, Spotify, Target, Home Depot, and I sat down with or I talked on the phone with these people for about an hour apiece. Sometimes it was an hour and a half, two hours with some of them. And I got to ask them any question I wanted about marketing. And these are people who are at the top of their profession. Mm -hmm. And so the answers they had were just amazing. They were insightful. They had great experience. Some of these people like John Costello from Dunkin' Donuts. This is a guy who's got 40 or 50 years of experience in marketing And he just retired and he's just had this amazing career. And so to be able to sit down with these people and say, you know, what do you think? Where do you think marketing's going? Where do you think it's been? How do you think it's changing? What are the skills that people need to become good marketers? How do you work with marketers like yourself if you're like me and you run an agency? And 
being able to ask those questions and get those answers was just a, a fantastic process. And yes, being a, a Forbes writer was very helpful in that because as I was pitching these people and saying, hey, come be a part of my book, it was great to be able to say, oh, by the way, I'm a writer for Forbes and Mashable and TechCrunch, and now I'm putting this book together, and I've got this publisher. And so that gave me some of the credibility to get started there and get those people signed up. Was there um, a, a single thread that I know you present different lessons, of course, but was there kind of a single thread that you, or theme that just kept coming up? Yeah, there were two things that were interesting interesting to me. One is that I wanted to ask people about data because there's been a lot of talk in the last few years about big data and using data and how the marketing profession has changed because of data. And all the CMOs agreed that, yes, the profession has changed a lot. It used to be an art form more like you see on the Mad Men show where people brainstorm and they say, okay, we're going to come up with this campaign and then they throw this campaign out there and then they win a bunch of awards and they say, yay, we were successful because we won a bunch of awards. And that's not marketing today. In marketing today, you can track everything. So awards don't matter so much anymore. What matters is, are you selling stuff and can we track it directly to marketing activities? That's what matters. So marketers today, they have to deal with more numbers than the CFO has to deal with. That was one of the trends. But also they are saying, you can't depend on the data too much. You still have to have that gut intuition and really what you need to have to succeed is empathy for your customers. You have to understand who your customers are, what they care about at a fundamental level, not just something based on research or focus groups, but you have to be able to look at your customer and say, I get these people. I really understand these people. I know what they're going to respond to. Those are the people who are successful marketers who can combine that gut intuition with the data and produce real results. One of the things I hear from a lot of senior level uh, folks uh, particularly is that they're finding it increasingly difficult to adapt to the speed of change. Uh, did you find that to be true or at least was that expressed? Yes, it was. That's definitely one of the challenges these executives face. Uh, Scott Brinker has this graphic called the uh, it's the marketing technology super infographic, something like that. But it shows the logos of all the marketing technology companies out there. And last year, in 2015, he had something like 2,200 logos on this graphic. And this year, he had over 4,000. So you think about the job of a CMO saying, all right, I've got to find the latest technology that's going to help me do my job better and help me keep my job. And here are 4,000 different companies they can choose from to give them an advantage over the competition. Obviously, they can't do that. They just can't wrap their minds around that many companies and that many opportunities. And this is one of the things that these executives struggle with is to say, it's not that there's not enough opportunity out there. It's that there's too much opportunity out there. And out of the hundreds of things that I can be doing, what are the best things that I can be doing? So in a way, it's a great opportunity because there's so much out there to help these marketers at the same time. There's so much that they can't keep up with it, and that's a challenge. And so they turn to their staffs. They turn to conferences and magazines and publications to help them sort through all these things. But it's just an ongoing challenge to keep up with all that tech. 
Do you find a shift in how organizations are organizing? In other words, you know, you've got content officers now and information officers and data officers. I mean, where does all that align in an organization around marketing or in the more traditional sense of, say, an org chart? Right. It's it's interesting because as I went through the process of getting these interviews for this book, I had to go out and find these CMOs. And one of the things I noticed is that there are still a lot of Fortune 500 and large companies that do not have anybody on their top executive team who is a marketer. They've got the CEO, they've got the CFO, they've got the VP of whatever. They've got maybe 10 or 15 people there. Nobody has marketing in their title. And that surprised me that in this day and age, they don't have somebody at that top level in the C-suite with marketing within their title. Because the CMOs that I did talk with, they talked about how they are the right-hand man or woman to the CEO. They are the person that the CEO is leaning on because the CMO, more than any other position, is driving growth for these companies. And in a lot of cases, the CMO is responsible for sales. They're overseeing customer service. In some cases, the CMO is actually driving product development because they are more in touch with what the consumer wants as a product or service than anybody else. And so the CMO is, in a lot of these companies, they are managing more of the business than any other member of the C-suite. So this one's probably going to be your opinion to assess this because, you know, uh, what I'm going to ask about is blind spots, and obviously nobody told you what their blind spot was <laughs> because they probably mm-hmm. didn't realize it, right? So did you get a sense that that uh, collectively there is sort of a threat or danger to how CMOs are going to work or seeing their their roles these days? I think – well, the interesting thing is that a lot of CMOs are graduating to become CEOs because of the nature of the experience they have. Mm-hmm. It makes them well-suited to become a CEO. But a lot of CMOs are also getting fired. There's a lot of turnover in this position. And one of the statements uh, from Linda Boff, she's the CMO at GE, and one of the things she said that has really stuck with me is she said, speed is the new intellectual property. Hmm. And I think if there's a blind spot with any of the CMO, CMOs, it's that it's understanding how fast things are moving and how quickly they have to produce results or else they're out. And I see this running an agency, too, that people want results right now and they want them to be obvious. And that's what they expect from a marketing agency. That's what they expect from marketing technology. And that's what they expect from the CMO. And so whereas... The CFO or somebody else, they might be able to hang out a little bit longer in the C-suite and get their job done. The CMO has to come in and produce results and say, hey, I grew revenue by 50% over the past six months. And if they can't say that, the CEO might say, hey, you're not growing things quickly enough. You're out. We're going to find somebody else who can produce these results really quickly. 20 years ago, it wasn't that way because, of course, hey, marketing's just this thing. It's kind of fun. We think it works. We're not really sure if it works. You can't measure it. But now, because you can attribute so much of the growth of an enterprise to marketing, that CMO is really on the hook and speed is so much of the essence. Yeah, and how often are they in the hot seat to begin with, right? They they got brought in because the team was two and eight uh, last year. And so they, you know, they changed coaches or they changed the CMO. And, and so it's like fix, some, you know, fix something that's, that's really taken on water. That's tough. 
yeah, some of these people are coming into a situation where it's, you know, hey, we just fired the last four CMOs and each of them were here for six months. Do you want this job? Uh, sure. <laughs> yep. So uh, one of the things that I know that you have done with your business recently, and maybe this was by design, maybe this was just the uh, the winds of change, but uh, you have opened now, I think, two offices in, in uh, China in addition to your U.S. office. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the decision that went into that. Right. So, yeah, this actually was a personal decision. My wife and I are adopting a child from China, and that just led to a discussion of, hey, why don't we move over there and have an adventure? So we just moved over here to Asia three years ago, and then we opened the office more as a consequence of moving over here. Right. So I have a partner in the U.S. who manages things there, and then we opened an office in Hong Kong three years ago, and now we've just opened an office in Shenzhen, China, which is on the southern tip of China. It's kind of the Silicon Valley of China. But it has been an amazing opportunity to be over here. There's so much growth. There's so much opportunity. And when I go back to the United States, I drive around Utah or California or the places I go, and I think nothing's really changed here. And then I come back to China, and in six months, there will be a new city that's popped up or something. It's just the pace of growth here is just phenomenal. And all these companies are growing here, and they all need marketing they all want to get into Western markets. They want to sell on Amazon. They want to sell around the world. And there's nobody here to help them do this in English and help them market to Western audiences. And so we've, I feel like our agency came here at just the perfect time. And it's just been an amazing opportunity. I mean, we just set up shop here and we just start getting inquiries immediately. And I think, wow, this is too easy. I don't even have to do any marketing for myself. Culturally, has that been a shift? I know a lot of people talk about doing business in other countries, the first, you know, challenge is the language. But for a lot of people, it ends up being the culture in general, you know, a different, different sort of sensitivity to marketing or how marketing's done. Have you found culturally, you've had to kind of change your viewpoint? Definitely, the culture is a challenge. There are little nuances where you have to kind of feel it out and figure out how you act in certain situations, how you say things. I have a lot of meetings that will go three or four hours with potential clients, which, you know, in the U.S., it's normally a half hour or something. But here they really want to talk and get into details on the very first meeting. And there are just all these little differences uh, to pick up on. But at the end of the day, people here, they want to make money. Same thing in the U.S., business people, they want to make money. And everybody has those same incentives around running their businesses it's just the nuances that are a little bit different, but the fundamentals are still the same. Well, it should be in a pretty incredible adventure. Uh, if nothing else, you'll have uh, you'll have something to talk about to whoever you tell these stories to when you're done doing all this, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, speaking with Josh Steinle, he is the author of Chief Marketing Officers at Work. Um, Josh, where can people find out more about uh, both your agency and your and uh, your personal doings as well. My website is joshsteimle.com. It's J-O-S-H-S-T-E-I-M-L-E.com. And I've got all my links to social media there and everything. And that's where I blog and put up all my content. So that's the place. And the book is available uh, pretty much anywhere? Yep. It's on Amazon. It's on Audible. I'm an Audible fanatic myself. So I made sure I got that recorded quickly. And it's in all the different formats there on amazon.com. Great. Right. 
Well, thanks so much for uh, dropping by and uh, talking about what uh, is going on in the world of chief marketing officers and uh, maybe a little insight into people checking out uh, what's going on in the markets in China. So, Josh, hopefully we'll uh, – maybe I'll uh, see you one day uh, when I get over there. Actually, my I think three or four of my books have been translated into several versions of Chinese, so I occasionally get an inquiry <laughs> from, from those parts of the world. So I, I need to get there. All right. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.